You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Amen. Open your Bibles very quickly to the book of Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. Only one verse of scripture. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. Let's rise up for the reading of God's word, as is our good custom in all House on the Rock churches in honor of the second person of the Trinity, the living word of God. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 16. And let me read it to you in the message translation of God's word. Listen to what it says. I hate divorce says the God of Israel. The God of the angel army says, I hate the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. He says violent dismembering. There is no dismembering of one flesh that is not violent. Oh, Lord Jesus. No matter how much they tell you that it was, it was um, we amicably agreed. It was a no-fault division. It is not true. There is no separating one flesh that does not involve some form of violence. It, it takes violence to tear them apart. So watch yourselves. Don't let your God down. Don't cheat. Hmm. God hates divorce. He hates the violent dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. You see, the truth is that we are caught between the ideal and the reality of life. We preach the ideal, but are often faced with the alternative reality that is far from the ideal. We preach wonderful marriage, but yet we are faced with the reality of divorce. The ideal is marriage with, without divorce, but unfortunately, sometimes the reality is far from that ideal. Divorce is the reality of many people. God hates divorce, but not the divorcee. Did you hear me what I'm saying? In fact, I can tell you authoritatively, God loves the divorcee. You see, we've preached God hates divorce so powerfully and so strongly that somewhere in our minds, we feel that God therefore must hate the divorcee. No, 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 no. I came to correct you this Sunday morning. I came to tell you this Sunday morning, God loves the divorcee. He might hate divorce, but not the divorcee. He actually loves the divorcee. And sometimes when we preach this, God hates the divorce so much without putting in the addition that God does not hate the divorcee, the divorcee feels ostracized, feels stigmatized, feels like a sinner because he's a divorcee or she's a divorcee. But that devil is a liar. The simple subject of my teaching this Sunday morning is help. I'm divorced. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you to tell your neighbor that because you ain't. <laughs> Hallelujah. We give God all the glory. We give him all the praise. Mighty Father, help me. Speak through me. Cause me to do no injustice to your word. Cause there to be healing in this house today. 
In Jesus' mighty name we do pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Tell your neighbor you need to hear this. You need to hear this. Stay tuned. Hallelujah. Those online, stay tuned. Tell, call your friends. Send the message out. Tell everybody to tune in because they are about to be blessed like never before. Amen. And let me quickly read to you 2 Corinthians. Before I do that, help me celebrate and appreciate the, the ministry gift of Psalmist Elvis E., who is passing through the city of London and just decided to come and worship with us. God bless you. God bless you, man of God. We love you very much. Now, I quickly read to you from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 9. Um, in the Passion Translation, I, I love this translation, I've recently fallen in love with it. Um, it's a wonderful addition to the uh, more orthodox translations, the New King James translation and the like. Now listen to what it says. It says, we are like common clay jars that carry this glorious treasure within, so that this immeasurable power will be seen as, as God's and not ours. Then he says, though we experience every kind of pressure, we experience every kind of pressure, but we are not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. Woo. We are persecuted by others, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down. Hallelujah. Anybody feeling knocked down under the sound of my voice? He says, we may be knocked down but not out. We get back up. You see, the truth is, that for us as believers, we live in between two realities. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places, but we are still having to walk on the earth. We are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, but yet still suffer lack on the earth. So we are stuck in between in between two worlds, in between two realities. It's too light to be night, but it is too dark to be day. It's a twilight zone caught in between two seemingly opposing realities. Does anybody hear me what I'm talking about? This is often our reality as believers. We are stuck between the promise and its performance. We believe the promise, but we haven't yet seen the performance of that promise. Oh my goodness. Um, um, Deacon uh, uh, Tifash, uh, um, Bio, can you please, please come up stage and help me? I know I didn't tell you ahead of time, but um, just stand on either side of me. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see, so we are stuck in between these two realities. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, uh, uh, but I'm walking on earth uh, uh, and suffering lack. Does anybody hear me what I'm saying? Uh, we are faced with the challenge of the ideal and uh, our reality that is not quite uh, like the ideal yet. Uh, we are stuck between the promise and our present. Well, the promise is not yet fulfilled. It's right there. This dichotomy, this 
tension is real. Is anybody with me? Do you, do you hear me what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? How do we find the balance between these two? Oh yes, oh yes. Uh, you see, this is the challenge of every New Testament believer because he, in his being, he's holding two things. He's holding the promise, but he's having to go through a process in his present because the promise has not been actualized. All right. Uh, we cannot deny, because of the struggles in our fleshly lives, we cannot deny the goal of the ideal. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? Because sometimes your present can be terrorizing you so much, it can be so tough in the present that you give up on the ideal. You say there's no point pursuing this. This is, this is too high. This is too far. This is utopic. I can never get here, so I might as well just stay here and swallow here and wallow here. So the, the tyranny of our present causes us to stop to aspiring for the ideal. Uh, that's a mistake. We've got to get the balance right. Uh, but at the same time, we cannot let our aspirations for the ideal to cause us to pretend that there are no challenges of the, of the reality of our present experience. Are you, are you hearing me what I'm saying? So my, my head is not so much in the cloud uh, that I fail to admit uh, that there are challenges in my present, uh, in my experience. Can you both hold my hand on each, each side? So it's a tug of war. Uh, the ideal is pushing me, pulling me over there while the present is pulling me over here. So it's a tug of war between the two. Am I talking to anybody right now? Uh, I, 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 and there's nobody that feels this context, this contest between the two, as much as the preacher of God's word. Because as a preacher, as a teacher of God's word, I come to you uh, and I've got to still look at these two realities. Do I only preach the ideal and never deal with the present? Or do I only talk about the present challenges and somehow reduce the standard of pursuing the ideal? This is the challenge of the preacher, uh, that how does he get this right? How does he balance this? Because I must preach the ideal while still catering to the here and now and constantly attempt to bridge the gap between the two. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? Am I making sense? Are you grasping this? Uh, so, so, so now I have to deal with the reality eh, of the ideal of marriage as God intended it to be. God's ideal, perfect marriage, heavenly marriage, peaceful marriage, purpose-fulfilling marriage, loving marriage, joyful marriage. This is God's picture. This is God's ideal. I should preach this. I should pursue this. But at the same time, as I'm preaching this ideal, I still come face to face with the reality of persons that are not experiencing that yet. Uh, they're going through tumultuous relationships. They're going through challenges relationships. They're going through pain and misunderstanding and fights and, and, and separation and divorce. It's happening. 
It's a reality. Now, I as a preacher and a pastor have to deal with these two realities, and I must still speak accurately to both realities. Amen. I know you want to take notes, brother, so you can go and sit down and take some notes. Hallelujah. Help me appreciate them. Now, therefore, in trying to deal with this, and particularly on the subject of relationships and marriage, uh, I'm speaking to various categories of people at various stages in their race of relationship. Oh, Jesus, help me this Sunday morning. So, um, I, I have to preach prevention, I have to preach cure, and I have to preach redemption. Did you get that? I have to preach prevention, I have to preach cure, and I have to preach redemption. Because I'm dealing with various categories of people at the same time. So I have to preach prevention to the unmarried. I preach to them the prevention of bad marriages, the prevention of divorce. I have to preach to the married cure. Cure to their problems. I have to give them prescriptions for whatever challenges they are facing in their marriage right now. So I have to preach cure. But then I also have to preach to to a group of people that are often neglected and overlooked. I have to preach to the divorced. Those that are already out of their significant relationship, I have to preach to them redemption. And very often as a pastor and a teacher, I have to preach all three in one sermon. And and as I'm preaching all three, I've got to separate the three parties so they don't fight one another. Because sometimes, the people that are on uh, on the prevention side are looking down their nose at the person on the divorce side of this. What's wrong with those people? They're so bad. They're so silly. Look, you haven't walked a mile in their shoes. You don't know what they've gone through. You didn't know what, what brought them to where they are. I've got to keep the parties separate, yet speak to everybody at the same time and be gracious about it. Is anybody hearing me this morning? So to the single, I prepare them. To the unmarried, I prepare them for marriage uh, so that they won't have to go through divorce. In fact, let me take a sidestep and quickly talk to the single people under the sound of my voice um, and say this to you, that you are probably the most privileged of the three categories. And I know it doesn't feel like that. You know, single people typically are like, I... Oh, God, when will you deliver me from singleness? It's not a disease. You don't need deliverance from it. When will you get me out of this? But you don't realize that your singleness is when you, you have plenty options. Oh, God, your options are myriad as a single person. I know it doesn't feel like that, but it's just the truth. That you are, you, you, have, you are the most privileged. You know they say prevention is better than cure. You are at a place where you can prevent so many things from ever happening. It will never be your experience if you do the right things before getting married. If anything, the whole series that we've gone through so far is of great benefit to anybody that is unmarried. You know, sometimes when we are preaching these things, the, the married folks say, ah, chai, 
Pastor, you should have told me this one before. If you had told me this one before, I wouldn't have married this joker, but I'm in it now. <laughs> I'm in it. I said I do, so I've got to do. So to the single, we preach prevention, we preach preparation, we preach everything to help them avoid having to go through a divorce. To the married, we teach them how to make their marriages heaven on earth and also to keep them from divorce. But to the divorced, we must minister healing and restoration. Let them know that their lives are not over simply because they got divorced. God still has a beautiful plan for them, and it's called a redemption plan. Hallelujah. My time is moving fast. Let me quickly read to you um, a text that um, Pastor Femi read last week, Sunday, and I think in one of our interactive uh, midweek services, by the way, we'll be having one this Wednesday, a final Q&A interactive on relationships. You don't want to miss that. Um, from Matthew chapter 19, verse 8 to 12, I read to you in the message translation, and it said, and Jesus said, when these guys were talking about divorce, can we divorce our wives for any reason? Then Jesus said, Moses provided for divorce as a concession for your hard-heartedness. So we start to see that it's a concession. But it is not part of God's original plan. I'm holding you to the original plan and holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife. Note, your faithful wife and then marry someone else. I make an exception in cases where the spouse has committed adultery. Jesus' disciples. It was Jesus' disciples now that objected. If those are the terms of marriage, we can't, we haven't got a chance. Why get married? Jesus said, not everyone is mature enough to live a married life. Like I've repeated over and over in this series, marriage is not for boys and girls, it's for mature what? Men and women. It requires certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everyone. Nobody likes preaching that, but we gotta preach it. Marriage is not for everyone. Some from birth seemingly never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you are capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. So marriage is not for everyone. It's not for boys and girls. It's for mature men and women. Now note what Jesus says. Jesus says divorce is a concession. What is a concession? A concession is an assent, it is an acquiescence, it is an approval, it is a permission, it is a toleration, it is an exemption, it is an allowance. This is not the perfect plan. This is a permission, this is a concession. I'm just allowing this because of the hardness of it. Are you, is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? This is the ideal, but I am permitting this. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, um, down to verse 2. In verse 1, it says that you might prove the good, the acceptable, and the perfect will of God. We have some theological debates around it, but this is my understanding of it. It's one will, but there are three dimensions of that one will. There is the good. God is good to all. Right? There is the acceptable. In another translation, it says permissible, where God permits 
you to do whatever you want to do. You get to choose. You get to do whatever you want to do. But there is also the perfect. This is the center of God's will. Where this is exactly how God wants it to be. Now note that many people are operating in the permissible. They're operating in what is permitted, operating in what is allowed. It is not the perfect will of God. Divorce is not the perfect will of God. But he permits it. Somebody said it's a, a sin. I didn't find it in the scripture that it's a sin. He permitted it. He allowed it under certain conditions in certain levels. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Note that when these guys came to Jesus, said, according to our understanding of Moses' um, procedure for divorce, we can actually divorce our wives for any reason. That's what it, they, they felt. In fact, the question was clear. They said, do we get to divorce our wives? What do you say to this? They were trying to trap Jesus. That can we divorce our wives for any reason? Because already they were divorcing their wives for any reason. Saw a nice fine girl down the road. I don't like this one again. Divorce. Let me pursue this one. By the way, the grass is always greener, greener where it is watered. Hello? It's not just on the other side. The other side where the grass is looking greener is because somebody is watering it. If you water your own grass, it will be green. Hello? Oh, Jesus. I, I don't know whether everybody's hearing me what I'm saying. You know, I have a, I have a garden, yeah? And sometimes the, 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 my neighbor's garden is looking all brown. And mine is looking all green. That was some time ago. Now we are conserving water. Um, <laughs> and my neighbor is wondering, how come your own is green? I water it. I have a sprinkler. It's green because I'm watering it. If you don't water your garden, it's going to become what? Brown. And then you are envying somebody else's garden. Water your own. Hello. Hallelujah. So they were looking out to get out of marriage for even the flimsiest of reasons. But in the heart of what Jesus is saying here, he's saying that engaging in divorce is not something that's supposed to be entered into flippantly. It's not something that's supposed to be entered into lightly. It's not something that's supposed to be entered into like, it's not a big deal now. We're simply divorcing. We're simply going our separate ways. And I know the world is trying to paint the picture that it's that easy. Just, just, just give up and walk out, um, even for the flimpliest of reason. Now, we've introduced a new addition to our uh, divorce act. No fault divorce. Hello? No fault. So that we will not fight. We've agreed. Nobody's at fault. We are simply incompatible, and we decided to go our separate ways. Who are you deceiving? Please, please, please. Who are you deceiving? No fault. No, you are both at fault. Let me tell you. Fault is not always about what you did. Fault is also about what you did not do. There's omission and there's commission. I was in a relationship before I met my wife, before um, I married my wife. I'm a fiercely loyal person. I tend to stick to whatever I've committed to. I just stick to it doggedly. 
I don't know whether it's a virtue or a vice. I think it's more of a virtue than a vice, but it's, ju it's just who I am. So I just, I just stick doggedly to this. Ultimately, I, I, I saw red flags and signs very early in the relationship, but I just stuck with it for four years. It finally, finally had to break up. Okay, so broke up the relationship. I was talking to God about it one day. He said, ah, God, you foretell me what's... God said, if I slap... <laughs> you, what do you mean? You, you, I, I, told you, I, I told you over and over again you refused to hear. Now you're saying that I didn't... I gave you more than enough signs. In fact, when you were hard of hearing, I started sending signs. But you refused the sign. And then I was talking to how, how the other person was the reason the relationship didn't work. And then God said, stop. What about your own contribution to why the relationship didn't work? Aside from the fact that it wasn't God's my will for you, but what about your contribution? I said, I, I didn't contribute. I was a good guy. I was, I was patient. I was kind. I was... He said, no, no, no. Your, your contribution wasn't in your commission. Your contribution was in your omission. What you did not do that you should have done. What you did not say that you should have said. You might not have abused that. You might not have lost your temper. But there were times when you should have said this. Where you should have done this. Where you should have washed her. Where you should have corrected her with love. And you kept silent and mute because your personality type is one that runs away for com for, from conflict. But sometimes there's no avoidance of conflict if you're going to truly grow. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? So he's saying that it's not something to be entered into lightly. If you are going to divorce, it has to be for very, very serious reasons. God hates divorce. Why does God hate divorce? God hates divorce, but not the divorcee. Why does God hate divorce? Because it goes against his original plan, his perfect will, his divine intent. It's time for us to stop romanticizing the idea of divorce. Sometimes I'm speaking to couples that are going through a hard time, and they're very quick to say, look, pastor, I'm tired. I'm going to call it off. I'm walking. I said, Kuda, you don't know what you're talking about. I said, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm frustrated. In this thing, I'm closing the chapter. I'm walking out. I'm no longer doing it. I said, cool down. You don't understand the implication. I said, I won't be the first. Many people have divorced before me, and I know many people divorce after me. So what are you talking about, Pastor? Eh, I already have children. Eh? People that divorced before me had children. No problem. The children will be okay. In fact, even my own parents, they're not together. So what are you talking about, Pastor? It's, look, there is nothing new under the sun. Son, that's when they know scripture that they, 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 they didn't know before. I said, cool down. Divorce is literally the violent dismembering of one flesh. It's not just simply the cancelling of a legal contract. It's not simply just two people walking away from one another. Divorce is like tearing the sheet of paper. I know that scientists will probably tell me various ways we could put the two sheets of paper back together and it would be as if it was never torn. But 
the, the pathway to achieving that is not a simple pathway if you could ever achieve it without any evidence of the initial tear. One flesh. That, look, there is no tearing apart that doesn't involve the use of force, violence, pulling it apart to separate it. This is husband and wife, one flesh, torn apart in divorce. But it's worse than this because it's not really that. You see, because when two people get married, you have, you have their marriage. Then they have children. Then they have families. The husband's family, the wife's family. So they're layers. Then they have friends. Then they have community. Then if they are Christians, they have a church that they both go to. And then there are possibly other layers of life where their lives have intersected because they are now married. So when divorce happens, it's not just this that's happening. When divorce happens, is all of this that's getting torn. This is why God hates divorce. Because the impact is not just on the two persons that are getting divorced. It's also on the children in, of that union if they have children. It's not just the children. It's also on the two families. Because now, whether you like everybody, back to your tents, Israel. Everybody go to their own family. It now becomes an offense for this family, any member of this family, to be friendly with anybody, any member of that other family because there has been what? A divorce. Maybe the communities you used to go to before, all of a sudden you can't both be in that same community because you are divorced. Listen, you don't even have to get to the level of divorce. I've seen it in church. I've been pastoring for the larger portion of my adult life now. And even people that are dating each other, they are not married though. They're just dating each other in the same church. And then finally, the, the courtship or the dating doesn't work. And one of them, they, they can't stay. Somebody will say, I've got to go. I can't be coming to this place and seeing this, that joker. <laughs> I need to. I, I say, look, are you coming to church for the joker? Or are you coming to church for God? Say, pastor, leave that thing. I, I can't worship God. Every time I see, ah. I need to go somewhere <laughs> not see this. That, and that one was just dating. You know, I can't imagine a, a marriage relationship turn aside. The, their community gets turn, turned aside. I've even seen churches split. Church split over divorce because people take sides. Those that will side with the husband, those that will side with the wife. And now, then one leaves the church and you're hoping that, okay, the other one will stay. But the truth be told, it's just a matter of weeks or months. Even the one that stays, we say, I'm going. The collateral damage of divorce. This is why God hates divorce, but not the divorcee. But not the divorcee. Woo. So, so, so Jesus is saying that if you are ever going to engage in divorce, make sure you've weighed it. Make sure it's not for flimsy 
reasons. Make sure that it is for serious, well-thought-out, greatly deliberated reasons. And that you have had some form of counsel, some form of remedial, restorative, reconciliatory efforts put into trying to save that union. Listen, divorce is so violent, whether you like it or not, that what I found with a lot of divorcees, if they don't go through healing, and by the way, we're putting something on the back end of this, and what we're putting on the back end on this to help anybody that has gone through a divorce or a very severe broken relationship, because there is healing. Amen? All right. What I find out is that if they don't go through a proper healing process, what happens to the divorcee is that something is broken. And I find that most divorcees can walk away from anything. And the reason they can easily walk away from anything, walk out of any job, walk out of any church, walk, they can walk away from anything is because I walked out of my marriage. So what is there again? It's, it's, look, it's, I didn't die when I walked out of my marriage. So leaving this place, leaving this church, leaving this community, leaving this job is not the end of the world. Life will go on. Unless they are healed, it becomes so easy. And that's also why, even though the first marriage failed, statistics show that the higher percentage of second marriages also fail. And in fact, it gets easier. In fact, you start saying, ah, oh, I'm on number four. What number are you on? <laughs> because what you practice, you get better at. <laughs> God help us. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, can two walk together unless they be agreed? So agreement is essential for walking together. So if my wife and I are going to walk together, we're going to have to be in agreement. We have to be in agreement to walk together. And for there to be agreement, listen to me, a lot of the time there's going to have to be submission. Oh, time doesn't allow me. Because we have abused and stigmatized the word submission. Because um, we have made it subjugation. It's not subjugation. Submission is something that is willfully done and engaged in. Oh, you hear me what I'm saying? And the scripture says that the wife is supposed to submit to her own husband, not to every man. So all these men trying to make you submit that are not your husband. Please, 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 please. The scripture said, submit to my own husband. Are you my husband? No. So please, respect yourself. Before I speak to you politely. Um, blessed be God. <laughs> Hallelujah. So now, but the word submission is the combination of two words, sub and mission, which therefore means that the woman has a mission. Someone that has a mission has vision. Somebody that has vision has purpose. She's valuable. She's got great value. What the scripture is saying is that bring your mission, your vision, your purpose under that of your husband. In other words, prioritize his vision, his mission, his assignment. Prioritize it. It doesn't mean lose yours. Yours will still be fulfilled. 
And a good servant leader is actually going to keep on looking for how to make sure that your mission, your vision is fulfilled. That's submission. But interesting enough, in the book of Ephesians, when you go and read earlier on, before it said, wife submits, he says, submit ye one to another. People like to jump that scripture. Meaning that in the marriage union, there will be times, hello, where the husband has to submit also. We take culture, we superimpose it upon the scripture, and we make the scripture preach culture. The scripture didn't say that. There are times when the husband will have to submit. I want to do this, but you want to do that. In this situation, let's do, let's, let you have your way, I put mine under. We'll prioritize your goal at this point in time, I put mine under. But the scripture is making it clear when it's now specific and says, wives submit, that when it comes to the primary re, um, role of submission in marriage, it's the wives. So more often than not, the wife is the one submitting in the marriage context. But it doesn't mean that the husband never submits. It says, submit ye one to another. And in the position of submission, it's not the position of weakness. Oh, God, Jesus, help me, Jesus. Got to move forward. My time is done. Hmm. No two can work together unless they be agreed. Agreement doesn't just happen. Agreement is based upon what? Communication. Agreement is based upon communication. How do you agree with me if we never communicate? How are you going to agree with me if I never communicate with you my vision, my dream, where I want to go, and you never communicate yours with me? You are caught in, and all you are talking about, I love you. Oh, I just love you. You know, ah, I love you. Oh, no, I love you. Oh, I love you. Oh, I love you. Okay, we've had. What else? Eh? Oh, your hair. Oh, your chest, your shoulders. Aha. Oh, you know, I just love the way you talk, the way you walk. Hey, okay, okay, it's enough. Uh, can we talk serious things? What's your vision? What do you want to achieve? Where do you want to go? How are we going to be agreed if we never have conversations around these things? Assumption is the lowest level of knowledge. If I keep on just assuming I know what you want, and then it is in marriage that I find out that you want the exact opposite, there's a problem. Look, courtship is for data gathering. It's not for dating, it's for gathering data. I want to know, I want to know, what's your relationship with money? What's your relationship with savings? Do you have any? Let, let me understand, can we be agreed? Agreement is based upon communication. Now, communication is not a gift. Nobody is born a great communicator or a bad communicator. I know somebody wants to argue with that. Even the persons that you think were born great communicators, they had mentors around them when they were growing up. Their parents were good communicators, or their, their uncle and auntie, somebody around them were good communicators that they learned how to communicate from. They weren't born with the natural gift to communicate because communication is not a gift, it's a skill. And if it is a skill, it means it can be developed and it can be improved upon. Look, nobody was born able to drive. Look, if your baby, 
You put your baby behind the driver and it changes the gear, it reverses the car. Run, that's a problem. <laughs> you have to learn to drive. You, you weren't born a driver. Communication is a skill. And we've got to apply ourselves to developing that skill and improving upon it. I'm sorry this Sunday morning. I'm going to take a bit of extra time, guys. Give me five or seven more minutes I, 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 because this is the grand finale, man. I, I, I'm moving on to something else next week, Sunday. Work on your communication. Create time for communication. Our biggest problem in communication is what? The inability to hear. You know, when we think about communication, we always think, what I want to say to you. That's not where communication starts. Communication starts with, I want to hear you. I want to listen to you. Jesus, help me. And we all ail or struggle with truly listening, including yours truly. <laughs> One of the things that I say a lot of the time, and people, um, people that know me hear, hear me say it, I say, I hear you. And people don't understand why I'm saying that. They think, but I don't really think you heard me. No, it's because I'm learn I've been training myself over years to really listen to suspend judgment, to suspend bias, to suspend my own opinion, and listen to what the other person is saying. And I want to hear it. So I say, I hear you, but this is what I am thinking. But if your argument is superior to mine, I am quite willing to submit my pathway to yours. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Listening. A good speaker, when he gets up to speak, he doesn't, he, he listens before he speaks. So uh, how do I listen? Because listening is not just with your ears. Listening is also with your eyes. Listening is also with research. Listening is also with analyzing data. So I've, I, I know the audience I'm about to speak to. People pay for this stuff, I'm telling you, by the way. I know the audience that I'm about to speak to. I gather data on the type of audience I'm about to speak to. I understand what their aspirations, desires, their needs are before I speak. So I've listened to them before I said the first word. It starts with listening, not with speaking. Are you listening to your partner? Are you listening to your spouse? Are you really listening? Listening is harder than we think. You know why? In, in our heads, we're always hearing ourselves, including me. We are always talking to ourselves. We're always talking about our own opinion, what we think, our perspective. It's, it's constantly ringing in our heads. So even when somebody is talking to you, sometimes you're not even listening. All you are, what is going on in your head is your own voice repeating your own position over and over to you. So you weren't listening. It takes, it takes skill to now learn how to shut down that voice and truly listen. This is the art of coming out of your own shoes 
and putting yourself in the shoes of your partner. This also ties down, back, traces back down to understanding the differences between men and women. And therefore, the way they will see things, time forbids me, I can't go deeply into that. But you understand what I'm talking about. Woo! Pastor, but what about when we cannot talk? It's close to, that's close to separation and it's close to divorce. That's where it starts. When a husband and a wife start saying, we can't talk. Because communication is often one of the indicators of the health of a relationship. When communication starts to go down, 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 communication is like fuel in a vehicle. If there's no fuel, the vehicle ain't going nowhere. No matter how luxurious the, the, the vehicle is. Uh, High-flying, expensive wedding. Marriage done in three months. Communication. Then it finally gets to a place where it's zero. We can't talk. What does it mean when, when, when couples say we can't talk? What they are saying is that we are no longer able to compromise. This is talking about the exit of compromise in that relationship. Because if both parties are able to compromise, then the communication continues. But when you've got to a place where nobody's willing to bend over backwards or where one person is always having his or her way and the other person never gets his way, at some point in time, the person's going to say, eh, okay, that's it. There's no point talking because you're not going to yield anyway. It's your way or the highway where there's unwillingness to sacrifice. And when you get to this stage, number one, I've told you prevention, cure, redemption. Prevention is to develop communication skills very early. But now when we start talking about the cure of this, this is where you look for third-party intervention. Because the emotions between the two of you can be so heated and so hot that it literally does not allow you to talk anymore. So now you need a third party that can be the arbiter that helps to... Ex because sometimes it's easier to receive the information from somebody else than from the person you're annoyed with. But you also have to have some criteria for the third party that you invite in. We typically will advise you don't invite family in for that. Why? Because family never forgets. Even when you have reconciled, the family still has the dossier of everything that happened. And five years, ten years down the road, they are going to open it up and say, that's how you cheated my... Whew, too much. Reasons, legitimate reasons for divorce. The scripture talks about infidelity. This is legal. This is a legal premise. But I'm sorry to bust your bubble. The scripture says that we are no longer under the law, we are under grace. Meaning that now as, as believers, we do not take the recourse of the legal provision. We're under the law of love. And love covers a multitude of sins. So that my spouse cheated on me and that's one of the most painful betrayals that could ever happen. It is not automatic, we are divorcing. There is still a way back. Oh, 
Oh, yes, prevention is better than cure. And that's why we preach and teach so much, so that you don't have to go through that. But if you go through that, it does not automatically mean the end of the story. There is grace. And there are multiple, multiple marriages that have recovered from infidelity. Another premise for divorce, threat to life. Look, the covenant of life is more important than the covenant of marriage. By the way, there ain't any marriage in heaven beyond the marriage of the, um, the, 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 the lamb and his bride. Amen? God will explain that to me when I get to heaven. Amen? Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? So if there's physical threat and abuse, it is premise for separation, not yet divorce. Because in the Christian context, we don't go straight to divorce. We go first to separation and try to see whether there can be reconciliation in the process of the separation. It is when all efforts for reconciliation fails in the season of separation that we now say that, okay, um, it looks like you guys have to pull apart. Is anybody hearing me what I'm saying? Third reason for divorce that can be considered to be legitimate is simply unrepentant abuse. Whether physical, emotional, financial, material, whatever. Unrepentant. Note the qualification. Meaning that this person is not trying to change. You know, sometimes you see a, a couple or a relationship that has gone sour and say, no, we're getting back. I say, and my typical question is, what has changed? I want specific data on what has changed. By their fruits you shall know them. Show me the ownership of the wrongdoing and the evidence of a change in behavior that premises going back. Otherwise, you are going back to come back out because nothing has changed. Hallelujah. Woo! Okay, so I've been divorced, Pastor. What do I do? Avoid rebounding. So you shouldn't be in a rush to jump into another relationship, another marriage. Something has been torn out of your life, so you've got to heal properly. Crystallize lessons learned. What lessons have I learned? What am I not going to do again? Seek healing and wholeness first. Go back to school, not just any school relationship school. All those things you said you wish you had known before you got married, now go and know them. Then forgive yourself. Healing only flows where there's forgiveness. And sometimes it's easy to forgive the other sometimes it's harder to forgive yourself because even when you are initially, yeah, yeah, I've got to work out, it, it, that is just at the beginning. It doesn't take much time before you start to have a sense of guilt about the failure of the relationship. You've got to, if you're going to move forward, you're going to forgive yourself. Now, there, there, we, we have what we call divorce care. We already have a life group that tries to deal with this. We call that healing hearts. And so, 
if you've been through this or you're going through this, we want you to really engage with this because I'm trying to put this on the back end of this. I want this to be more than, oh, a nice message that was preached and then everybody went about their own business again. I want to really help you because it's a process healing from things like divorce. So if you're interested, please um, see Pastor Abby or contact Pastor Abby so she can get your details and we can um, line you up for that. We want to see what type of appetite there is for this type of support and this type of help. Or email us at the office indicating that you are interested in this also so that we can capture your data and get this running. In the, in the, in the occasion of divorce, if children are involved, listen to me, do right by them. Do right by them. Do your best by them. I'm going to close by simply telling you there is healing. And this is for everybody. God has a redemption plan. Jeremiah chapter 18 and verse 3 to 4. It says, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made the gain into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. Even when the vessel of your marriage, the vessel of your relationship has been marred, my God is able to make it into another. God always has a redemption plan. God has a wonderful plan for your marriage, but it requires your partnership. Heavenly marriages are not made in heaven. They are made on earth in partnership with God, with commitment, forgiveness, and hard work. God has a redemption plan for you wherever you are in this equation. God has a redemption plan for you wherever you are in this equation, whether you are single, married, or divorced. God has a wonderful plan for you. And it's time for you to determine to walk with him, to believe him, forgive yourself, believe him once again, walk with him once again. And he's going to still bless you with a wonderful marriage. He's going to still bless you with a wonderful man. He's still going to bless you with a wonderful woman. He's still going to bless you with great purpose. Does anybody hear me? What am I saying? My God is not a God of abandoned projects. Religion might sign, write you off and say, oh, you're divorced. End of story, end of life. Just be quiet, hide in the back forever for the rest of your life till you go to heaven. God will wipe your tears in heaven. That's religion and that devil is a liar. God still has a wonderful plan for you. Can I preach to somebody that out of your misery, there's going to come out a mis 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 ministry. Out of your pain, there's going to come great gain in the mighty name of Jesus. My God is a restorer. My God is the redeemer. My God is a healer. We don't enter into divorce flippantly. But if it, is, it has happened, after doing everything you needed to do to try to resolve, reconcile, can I announce to you, God still has a plan for your life. Hallelujah. There's somebody under the sound of my voice. I don't know whether you're online or here in person. You've kept your life on hold because the relationship did not work. You put your high life on pause. You say, well, it's over for me. God's given up on me because this didn't work. That devil is a liar. God sent me to tell you this morning I still have a wonderful plan for you. There's somewhere I still want to take you to. There's still greatness in your future. There's still glory in your future. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout. Oh yeah!
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Marriage was his, his idea, and when we stick with his plan, there's healing, there's restoration, and it's beautiful. All of the pain we see is simply a departure from God's plan. So with every head bowed, all, all eyes closed, quickly talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm going to walk with you. Help me. Help me to walk with you. Help me to walk with you. Help me to apply myself to the truth, the knowledge that has been dispersed here. Help me to walk in the lights of this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And if you're out there and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, this is your moment. This is your opportunity. Please repeat these words of prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today, I repent of my sin and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe in my heart I have made this confession with my mouth. Therefore, by faith, I am a new creation. I am born again in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. We're so excited and happy that you said that prayer. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We want to help you to grow in the Lord. So direct message us on any of our platforms or email us or follow the pathway on our website and let's help you to grow, to become a mature son of God. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on HOTR.org.uk.